Shabbat Shalom. Good to see everyone. I'm Monty Judah, with Director of Lion and Lion Ministries, and I want to welcome you to the Arab uh, Shabbat B'nai Shalom service. Thank you for inviting us into your home uh, to be part of your Sabbath. Uh, we pray that your Sabbath will be refreshing to you and encouraging. Before we get uh, underway with our service, a couple of quick announcements I'd like to cover with everyone. Uh, I want to remind everybody that coming up in June, this spring, June 2nd, 3rd, and 4th of this year, 2017, is the weekend of the Feast of Weeks, um, and we'll be completing the counting of the Omer on the 50th day there on that Sunday of that weekend. We would love to have you come and join us. It's one of the pilgrimage feasts, and Ephraim will share with you in this door portion how it's one of them. So we encourage people to travel, come, and fellowship with other brethren. And we're hosting uh, here in Norman, Oklahoma, a Shavuot Feast of Weeks weekend and to observe the holiday together. It's the day of proclamation and a day in which many of us do our mikvahs. Uh, at that, we'd love to have you come. We've got a series of teachers coming that weekend, worship. going to be a good time. So if you'd like to be a part of that, contact the ministry or register for Shavuot, which is coming up June 2nd through the 4th uh, here in Norman. Also, uh, coming up, and we now understand the date is now March 5, uh, on the AHC channel, the program called How the World Ends, uh, the American Heroes Channel is a program called an episode called Biblical Armageddon. This is the one that Lionel Lamb personnel were a part of, and we're all looking forward to seeing what that broadcast, how that program plays out. Uh, my understanding is it's 10 p.m. Eastern Time, March 5, on the AHC channel. You have to check your particular listings to verify. There's also one other time uh, that's the next morning at 5 o'clock in the morning, if that's more to your suiting. Um, so that's coming up here in the first part of March, and check that out. Also, uh, to look out further into the end of the year, we have a Feast of Tabernacles. Registration for it will open on March 1. Our theme this year is Zealous Over Zion. And we're planning to have, an, again, another wonderful camp experience. Bring your sukkah, your tent, your travel trailer, your hut, your lean-to, whatever you've got, and come and join us um, in the camp for fellowship. And, and, of course, that's a big eight-day event. And we've always been having a lot of fun out there every year. We've got excellent teachers, worship leaders coming. Come and be a part of the Feast of Tabernacles with this this year. And this year, given that it's 2017, we could have some really interesting things happening for us uh, at the Camp of the Lord uh, this year at Sukkot uh, to see how the Lord's plan is playing out for the rest of the year. So I invite you to all of those activities that we have coming up. And thank you again for being part of this broadcast and being part of the ministry. Your financial gifts and prayers are greatly appreciated to help us with the ministry costs. So Shabbat Shalom, and let's get ready for Kiddush. Welcome. Please join our family as we usher in the Sabbath. Baruch <laughs> 
Eloheinu melikavam, asher kedeshanu b'mitzvotav, v'tivanu lecha Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by his commandments, and has commanded us to be a light unto the nation, and has given us Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen. Let's see the blessing over the cup. Baruch Eloheinu melech haolam, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. See the blessing over the bread. We give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch Eloheinu
Blessed be the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Mi chamocha. Mi ba'elim Adonai. Mi chamocha nedar ba'kodesh. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you? Lord, there is none else. You are awesome in praise, doing wonders, O Lord. Who is like you, O Lord? And now, for the blessing of our Messiah. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher natan lanu et haderech Yeshua b'Mashiach Yeshua. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the Universe, who has given us the way of salvation in the Messiah Yeshua. Veshamru, veshamru v'nei Israel et hashabbat ledorotam berit olam beini uvein b'nei Israel othi leolam ki sheshet yamim asa Adonai et hashemaim veet aretz. The children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from his work and rested. And now if you can all please face east with me for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Baruch Shem Kevod, Malchuto, Leolam Vayet. Yeshua HaMashiach, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of His glorious kingdom forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, He is Lord. And now for the Ve'ahavta. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elohecha b'chol levavcha u'v'chol nafshecha u'v'chol merdecha. Ve'hayu hadvarim ha'ele asher nochi mitzavcha hayom al levavcha. Vishinantan Levanecha, Vidibarta Bam Beshiv Techa Bevetecha, Uvlechtecha Baderech, Ushach Becha of Kumecha, Uksharkam Leot Aliadecha, Vehayu Letotofot Bainanecha. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you today shall be upon your heart. 
You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall speak of them when you sit in your home, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your arm and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen. We just thank you for this Shabbat. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you, to worship you, to praise your name. For you are holy, Father. We invite you to come and join us in our midst, Father, as we lift your name high.
Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 21 for our Torah portion this week. And as you are opening the scripture, let me do the blessing before the Torah. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Asher b'charbanu mikol ha'amim Venatan lanu et torato Baruch atah Adonai Nonten ha-torah ha-amein Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has chosen us from among all peoples and has given us your Torah. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. Our Torah portion for this week is entitled Mishpatim, or Ordinances. This is the time in which uh, Moses has brought the children of Israel to the mountain. Our previous Torah portion 
had the Ten Commandments. The children of Israel are at the base of the mountain. They hear the words of the Lord of, through the Ten Commandments and that it's this thundering, uh, booming voice that causes great fear, great awe. They go tell Moses to, you go talk to the Lord, whatever he says to you, that's what we'll do. Because they feel that if they hear the voice of the Lord again, that they would surely perish. So what we have here is Moses, at the uh, end of our previous chapter, Moses goes into the midst of a cloud or a thick darkness where God was. And the Lord begins to speak to Moses, speak to him all of these various words, commandments. The very last bit of our last Torah portion, God gives Moses the instructions having to do with uh, an altar. So that when they do go and worship the Lord, that there's certain uh, things that need to be guidelines that need to be in place for the way a altar needs to be structured and then begins our Torah portion here where he says it's there's a very distinguished uh, break here where it says now these are the judgments which you are to set before them before the children of Israel so in this Torah portion just to kind of explain a little bit um, this is one of this Torah portion has the greatest number of commandments of all the other Torah portions this is God speaking to Moses and giving him a very big series of commandments, instructions, how to interact with one another. What would happen if someone kills somebody, if someone hurts somebody? How do we deal with theft? How do we deal with property? All of these various commandments. If you ever think about, well, what are the commandments of the Torah? What is the law of Moses? You can kind of start with the Ten Commandments, read these next couple of passages, and these. this is the bulk of instruction for someone to live uprightly before the Lord. Now, to explain some of it, there's no way that I would ever be able to explain all of it, that you'd have to have a series of teachings to go through and explain every instance of every commandment on how to keep it, what it's, how is it applicable today. But it does need to be explained that some of these commandments, especially dealing with if someone owns an ox, well, many people in our modern day, we don't own ox or we don't have farms and oxen and, and, and various animals. We own cars and we own houses in the suburbs. And so one of the questions that always comes up is if you read through some of these things, you think they have no application to you. However, there's always the principle of the commandment that we can always learn and always study. Before I get into any of the details or hit some of the highlights of this Torah portion, it should be, I have to recommend that when somebody wants to know, how do we walk uprightly before the Lord? How do we begin a Torah study? How do we, let's talk about the Torah, the commandments, how to live before God. One should sit down with a group, with a Bible study, with their spouse, and they should sit down and they should read through these commandments. Trying to understand and draw application to what it means to, to one's life. Because the, this is the rule of law. Many of our uh, modern laws here in this country, in the United States of America, you can see some very basic um, parallels between the commandments that God gives to Moses here in Exodus to laws that we have today, court cases and, and, and various things. That this is a general rule of law. One other thing that I've always loved to say is that people say here in America that we are the freest people in the world. Well, we also have the greatest number of laws in this country. And the way the rule of law 
brings freedom because it brings freedom, it brings peace, it brings comfort in everything that everyone does. We have traffic signals. You can pull up to a stop sign. Does the stop sign prevent you from getting to where you're trying, your destination you're trying to get to? No, it ensures that you get there safely. The rule of law brings peace, brings freedom. So when you look at all these commandments and you might say, how could we ever keep all of these things? There's so many of these details. This is the method and this is the path in which we have peace, in which we have freedom to live as a community with our brethren, to provide means to resolve conflicts, to provide means to understand what one's place in society, in, um, in a community is, and to know that the Lord is the supreme leader who has given us these commandments, this rule of law, so that we can all live uprightly before him. So that's kind of an introduction to what we're talking about here in all of these various uh, commandments. Let me get hit some of the highlights of our uh, Torah portion, and then I also want to bring us also a little bit to our Brit Hadashah portion when the Messiah himself weighs in on some of these things. And we get so we have the instruction from Moses, <clears throat> but then we also have a passage that we can read to where we can see what God himself through the Messiah, through Messiah Yeshua, actually has to say to elaborate on some of these commandments. So our portion begins in Exodus chapter 21, and the first commandment here, after this pause, after this break, <clears throat> you would think would be very important, very that we need to understand. So what is it? So we have a commandment here that is called the law of the bondservant. What it says is it says, <clears throat> if you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve for six years, and in the seventh year he shall go out free, and you shall pay nothing. If he comes in by himself... He shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. But if his master has given him a wife, then she is, and she has borne him sons and daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then my master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost. And his master shall pierce his ear with an awl and he shall serve him forever. So here we have one of the first commandments that are given in the law of Moses. And it has to do with being a servant. In today's culture, society, here in America at least, in, uh, in the first world, this where we've abolished slavery, servanthood, we think that this might not have any application to us. The law of the bond servant. The thing is, you could make one very simple parallel that this is how someone goes into goes to work for someone, goes to become an employee of, of something. You, there's some application there. But um, the law of the bond servant, we might think, we, some people might gloss over this. However, those of us who are believers in God, those of us who want to follow and live uprightly before him, we understand all of the disciples, they introduced themselves in their letters that they wrote as bond servants of the Most High. And so we ourselves should look at it and take application to us serving the Lord in this way. My father is going to explain more about this in the um, Haftor portion. Um, but this first passage here about these commandments have to do with being a servant in a master's house. It's a very short passage. It ends in by verse 11. So in the first 11 verses of chapter 21, we've explained what it means to be a servant in the house of a master. Uh, it also talks about a daughter. If a woman becomes a slave, she doesn't go out as uh, men do. Um, and there's some customs there, and I'd encourage you to read that there. 
Now let's go on to another section. After we've talked about what it means to be a servant in a master's house, we then shift to what it means and all these other commandments that follow all have to do with the commandments of free men. If you are a free man, then this is the way that you make restitution in various ways on every other as we continue on through the rest of the commandments. Starting in verse 12, we then have a talk, start talking about if a man strikes another man and he dies at the hands of another man. It talks about very specifically if he had did not intend to kill him. This is the way that we have manslaughter. You can basically, if you write notes in your Bible, write manslaughter next to verse 12. That this is how that the restitution is made, that he has a place to flee. That comes in later on. That's explained later in the Torah. This is called what is called the law of the blood avenger, where in ancient times, if someone was killed accidentally, the next of kin of the person who died had the right to go and avenge their lost lost sibling or uh, their kin. What is established later in Torah is that there were cities of refuge that were set aside for men to flee and be protected. If they killed somebody accidentally, they had a place to go and to flee. And so that, so the law of the blood avengers explained in Numbers chapter 35, and then it also talks about in Joshua chapter 20 that when they entered into the land, they established these cities of refuge. So that's kind of those um, other passages kind of connect back to this one where it says that there will be a place for them to flee if they accidentally kill somebody. The very ne- the next couple of verses, and starting in verse 14, talks about if a man had premeditatedly kills somebody. This is what would be in our modern vernacular uh, first degree murder. At that point, it's uh, it says that if somebody kills somebody, he lies in wait, then he shall be put to death. We have all kinds of arguments in this country and in various states on whether the death penalty is allowed. The scripture very emphatically explains that the death penalty is in effect for various commandments or that if they are broken, certain people are to be put to death. Premeditated first degree murder, the scripture calls for death to be the penalty of that. It also continues on. I mentioned this last week that it says if one kidnaps another man and sells him and it's found that he that somebody it's proved that he was did the kidnapping, he shall be put to death. I explained that kidnapping is believed to be an aspect of murder, and it follows the same way, that when you take somebody's life, take somebody away from their life, if you will, such as kidnapping, that it's akin to murdering them. You have the sense everyone who was left behind feels like they've gone. They don't know if they're ever going to see them again. You've basically created in, in the people who knew them the feeling that they've been murdered and it that is as great a sin as actually murdering them and the scripture calls for the death penalty in that case as well it also talks about if one strikes their father or mother they're to be put to death it also says plainly another time if one curses his father or mother they shall be put to death the whole aspect of respect for one's father and mother is very important to all of Scripture. Not only striking them, but also to curse them, speaking against them. God is very emphatic about one's relationship that establishing a father and a mother and the place of honor that they have over those that they have birthed. If we cannot establish that respect, then we will never have and never be able to honor our Heavenly Father in the same way. If we cannot believe in the things that we can see, in the earthly things, then we cannot believe in heavenly things. And at that point in the scripture, 
Again, another thing that is a cause for the death penalty. Um, it continues on further also that if somebody is striked not killed, then how is, the, how is restitution made? Um, to conclude that section, what it says is this, a passage that we've all, or a verse that we've all heard many times over uh, here where it says, starting in verse 23, but if any harm follows, and so in, in all other cases where we don't know how to make restitution, it says this, you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. In all things, if something happens where somebody strikes somebody else, then you are to make restitution. Now, does this mean that if somebody is striked and they lose an eye, that the person who did the striking is supposed to lose their eye as well? In discussion, what it actually means is you should have the same value. And it says that the Lord also puts judges in place to that they should rule on these matters. One very interesting thing I need to point out um, that I've always found interesting, hard to substantiate exactly how this works, but there is a connection here. The Hebrew word for I is ayin, made up of an ain, a yod, and a final noon. And that simply means I. That's what it is. There is another word called erek, which is made up of an ain, a resh, and a final cough. If you look at those two words side by side, it starts with the same letter, and the resh can sometimes look like an enlarged yod, and a final cough can look like an even larger final noon. So if you look to, put those two words side by side, if you were looking at them at a distance, they would almost look like the same word because the look of the Hebrew letters are actually the same. That word erek means value or valuation. There is a connection between those two words. So that if you look for eye for eye, you should also write in your scripture and understand what we're talking about here is value for value when making restitution for, for someone in the process of if somebody accidentally hurt someone, you make restitution in the same like manner, if you will. Our passage continues on with more commandments. Again, I encourage you to, to read them, study them, talk with other people about them. These are a great Bible study thing. You should ask what somebody else thinks about some of these commandments because one person by themselves, they might not know how it applies, but in discussion and midrash, I believe we can draw a lot more principle out of some of these commandments. It talks about uh, animal control laws, if you will, that if somebody owns an ox. Now, the way that I like to apply this and the thing that I like to say is this is that in ancient times, one might own an ox. In today's time, we own a car. Let's just say that. And what it says is if you loan an ox to somebody, but then that ox hurts somebody in the process, then you, the person who owns the ox has to make restitution. If there was no knowledge of that there was going to be harm done, then, then the restitution can be made. And the person who loaned the animal or loaned the car, if you will, then they're not guilty. However, if the owner of the ox or the car has knowledge of that it has a problem, it specifically says if an ox has a tendency to thrust with its horns or to, 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 to be violent at times, if the owner does not mention that to the person or does, and loans it to them without them knowing that, and then something happens, then he is guilty of that 
of that thing. It's the same thing as if you loaned your car and you knew it had a problem. You knew the tires are about to go out. You knew a belt was about to snap and it causes harm to someone else. The owner of that car is guilty of causing damage and must make restitution to them. Very simple principle that, that makes sense there. Um, it also talks about that if somebody dies because of it, this is what we would call in our court case as negligent homicide, which is a crime punishable um, that, is, that is punishable where you were negligent in an area that caused somebody's death and you had knowledge that that could happen. So that's what that commandment would be about. It continues on and going into chapter 22, talking about theft. If something is stolen from someone else, if it's found in possession of the person of the thief, then how they make restitution that they restore. They have to restore double to them. Or if it's damaged in the process, they have to restore more to them. So uh, to, uh, to conclude, um, chapter 22 starts going into theft of people's property. The first chapter, chapter 21, is talking about damage to one, to another person, if you will. And then now we're talking about one's personal property. Again, we're still talking about all the possessions and the life of free men, that this is how these things are made in restitution. In Exodus chapter 22, at verse 16, it starts talking about very moral commandments, very moral practices. Uh, um, uh, principles that one should follow, not necessarily about property, but about just walking uprightly before somebody and just doing the right thing in certain circumstances. It talks about if a man uh, entices a virgin, that he shall pay a dowry back to the father. If the father, father refuses, then there's the way to make restitution for that. It says that you shall not permit a sorceress to live. One that is involved in witchcraft should be completely, you should abstain 100% from anything to do with that. If one lies with an animal, they shall be put to death. If one sacrifices to any other god other than the Lord, they shall be utterly destroyed. These are very standard moral principles that should be baseline instruction that you cannot uprightly walk before the Lord if these issues are present in your life. It then goes to verse 21. Very specific commandment. We've heard it before and it should always be reiterated. Verse 21 of chapter 22. You shall neither mistreat a stranger nor oppress him. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If you afflict them in any way and they cry at all to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will become hot and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. This is the moral principle of not doing harm to the stranger, to those who are in need. This is the reason why Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed because it was not because of the immoral activity of the of the people of the city, but it was the mistreatment of the stranger who traveled, of the widow, of the orphan, of those who are in need. It was that mistreatment that caused the outcry that brought wrath upon Sodom and Gomorrah. It was that was the reason. We have that same principle, that same commandment reiterated again. It also talks about lending money to someone. That it's not, you are not to be a money lender and charge interest to your brother. That if they ask for it, you help them. These are very moral standard practices that one should do. You're basically, people who do these things are described as good people, moral people. If anybody looks for ways to 
swindle people out of money or who wants to oppress somebody to for their own gain. We're talking about somebody who is immoral, somebody who is not who does not walk uprightly and follow these commandments. These instructions, they're simple, they're basic, but they are vital to one's to simply morality and to keep, truly this is the heart of what it is to keep the commandments of the Lord to do good, to do right, to do moral things, if you will. It talks about not to revile God or curse a ruler of your people. This is something that's uh, probably going on in today's country where we have a lot of people talking about whether the ruler of our country, the president, you know, should be there. Are they a moral person? And you have a lot of people go running around cursing the ruler of this country that it's commanded to not do that here in this passage as well. If we move down a little bit further, um, it then talks about in starting in chapter 23, you're not to circulate a false report. You're not to put your hand with the wicked or be an unrighteous witness. You should not follow a crowd to do evil. It says, do not start or join a riot. If there is a protest, if there is a riot that's causing a great deal of wickedness, lawlessness, it says you're not to join in with that. You're not to gain an advantage for yourself to join in with a group. It says you shall not testify in a, in a dispute so as to turn aside after many to prefer justice. You're not to just simply side with a majority because it, you want to be in the majority. You are to stand up. You're supposed to give a true testimony in those situations, not circulate a false report as to look better for the majority or the crowd of people. This is a struggle for a lot of people because everybody wants to fit in. Everybody wants to be a part of something and they don't want to be singled out. However, if you believe in God, if you're going to stand up for his commandments and stand up rightly before him, you will stand out. That is a, that is a requirement of one who stands before God is that you stand out. You are a light shining to the nations that others are to look for. So you're not to just blend in with the crowd for the benefit of being in the majority. We have a commandment here talking that that is what we need to do as well. It says that also if you find the ox of somebody you dislike, of your enemy, and you find them wandering around, you're to return it to them rather than Revel in the fact that somebody that you don't like lost something of their property, you're to return it to them. Because actually, if you keep this commandment, that's a one way also to make restitution with an enemy or somebody you don't like. If you show good to them, even if they think you don't like them or they don't like you, you can create and form and restore a relationship if you were to do good to them. You find something that belongs to them, give it to them. You know, children sometimes think finders keepers. If you find something that's on the road and you get to keep it. No, the Torah commands you to find the owner and restore the property to them because such gives us peace, gives us rule of law and freedom within one another that we can form bonds of trust with our fellow neighbor, with our community. And that's how one lives free. If we can all keep these commandments then we can all be in great relationships with our neighbor, with our friends, with our brother, because we know that there's an understanding we're going to follow a higher authority and we're going to restore property to someone who's in need or something that belongs to them. This is, I'm basically describing a community that is like a utopia where we all work together. If we all kept these commandments, then we would have peace, freedom, and we would all stand uprightly before the Lord. Amen. Our commandments continue talking about we have a reiteration of the law of Sabbath.
We also have a reiteration of some of the feasts, the three times, the three pilgrimage feasts that you're supposed to appear in Jerusalem at the Passover or the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, and also at the Feast of Ingathering, which is Sukkot at the end of the year. So we have that commandment reiterated here. And then another passage, very interesting. I encourage you to highlight this part in the scripture here. Exodus chapter 23, starting at verse 20. If anybody ever wants to ask, where is the Messiah or any sort of commandment or instruction having to do with the coming Messiah in Torah? It is right here in Exodus chapter 23, beginning at verse 20, where it says, God says this, Behold, I send an angel in the scripture or in the Hebrew. That also can mean messenger before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into a place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him for he will not pardon your transgressions for my name is in him. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And I will cut them off. We have the instruction of God sending a messenger in which he has the ability to pardon your transgressions and the name of God is in him and he is going to come and if you hear and obey his voice, then the Lord will bless you. For those of us that have a testimony, a belief in Yeshua the Messiah, we can see Messiah Yeshua fulfilled that he, how he fulfilled these verses here. So if somebody wants to ever stand up and say, the law of Moses is done away. All we have is grace and all we need is, is Jesus. They're removing the commandment for one to listen to the instruction of a messenger sent by God. You cannot remove, you cannot believe in Yeshua and remove this verse out of the law of Moses. It cannot be done because God is instructing the people of Israel, which is where Messiah Yeshua came to Israel, to the people, to that land, to listen to their voice. If this commandment is not, is done away with, then you are then no longer have the commandment to listen to the words of the Messiah. You cannot separate the two. So I encourage you to highlight that part, and it might come in handy at a later time that you might have a discussion with some fellow brethren. The Lord continues on with um, more talking about how he will bless you in the keeping of these commandments. And then in, ver in chapter 24, the last chapter of our Torah portion here, Israel reconfirms the covenant. After they've heard these words, Moses has, has written them all down into a book. He joins the people together. He reiterates the words to them. And twice in chapter 24, the children of Israel responded with all the words that the Lord has said, we will do. We will be obedient. They say it twice in this passage when there's all this discussion. And they basically we are affirming the covenant of God making this covenant of law with the children of Israel. Before, when you have the, the starting of the covenant, back a couple of chapters, the children of Israel said, I do. And we'll, like I said last week, this is a marriage covenant that is being formed where they say, I do. I will form a covenant with this person. Then you have the reading of the vows. And after the vows, they then say, I do. I will follow these vows. This is the marriage covenant between Israel and God that is being confirmed here now at the end of chapter 24. 
After that, they, do, they set up an altar. We had the instructions for an altar uh, earlier before. They set up an altar. They worship the Lord. And then the Lord calls Moses up onto Mount Sinai for more commandments as well. And that concludes the, um, the bulk of what is in our chapter or in our passage uh, for this week. One thing I do want to do is I want to take you over to Matthew chapter 5. And if you want to make these notes as well, you can basically take... Exodus chapter 21, 22, and 23, those chapters, and you can go ahead and write and you can parallel them to Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, all three of those passages. Because here in these passages, we have the uh, Messiah himself, Yeshua, speaking and teaching Torah. He quotes from the Torah and then elaborates on those things. Um, here in Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 21, it says, you shall not murder. But then he also um, elaborates and says that you should also just have not be angry with your, your brother. That if you even if you have anger with them, you've murdered them in your heart. And it says that before you bring a gift to the altar, you should go and... Um, resolve the issue with you and your brother this goes back to also where it said that even if someone had killed someone you're to remove them from the altar where they're worshiping to then bring punishment to them whether they're approaching the altar or not so the messiah himself elaborates and says before you even go to my altar remove any transgression between you and your brother before you even go there because this is akin to murdering someone if you hate somebody in your heart. It talks about adultery, that if you, com- that you say you might not have committed adultery. However, if you simply lust after another, that you've committed adultery in your heart. The Lord is elaborating some of these things. Yeshua is elaborating on these commandments, how to truly keep these commandments. The one of the other ones you have to read is um, Matthew chapter 5 at verse 38 where it says, You've heard it said, eye for eye or tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you in the right cheek, turn the other to him also. So, And if anyone sue you and take away your tunic, then give them your cloak as well. <clears throat> it's talking about going the second mile with someone when making restitution. Where it's like, don't just do value for value. Don't just give exactly the same amount so that they can be equal. But to actually go beyond that and make greater restitution to your brother. So, all of the, as this goes on for several chapters here of Messiah teaching us Torah, I encourage you to read that as well to learn what the Messiah himself said. And I want to also take you to the very end of Matthew chapter 7, because after the Messiah gets done speaking, this is what the people said of him after he got done teaching. It says this, And so it was when Yeshua had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. When someone teaches, it, he, when he spoke, he spoke as if he had authority over the commandments, that he was a, a true judge to speak to these commandments. Now, we might know why that is because we believe Yeshua himself was the lawgiver. These were his commandments and now he's speaking with the authority over them because they are his commandments. But another way that you could look at it is this, is that when you're listening to someone teaching who has authority, they followed him as a master. Because he's giving the commandments and he's the leader of the disciples and as you, when you hear somebody, you follow after their teaching. He's acting as a master. If you go back to our 
Torah portion, I described that there was only 11 verses that had to do with being a servant in a master's house. That that's all you had to do. If you follow, if you do what he says, he'll give you food. He'll give you water. It won't be restricted from you. You have wife. You have kids. 11 verses for what it is to be a master. Now, you might have read that initially and said, I don't want to be a servant. I don't want to be a slave. But then we went into all the different passages and, and commandments on what you have to do. If you're not a slave, if you're a free man, then you have to do all these things. You have to go before judges. You have to make restitution. You have to do all of these things, all of this work. My conclusion is this, is that it is greater to be a servant in the house of the master than it is to be a free man. Because as a free man, you have responsibility. You have all of these things that you have to do to work with one another and to be a brother. But if there's an authority that you can submit to, that is a higher authority that they are over you and they help you and they provide all the needs for you, that it is better to be a servant in the house of the master than to be a free man. Now, does that mean we're all supposed to just look for the easy way out and just be like, oh, I just want it to be easy so I don't want to have to deal with those commandments. So, yeah, I submit to God. No, there's, there's more to it than that because it takes truly the heart of a bond servant to do the work of the Lord, to do the work of the master, what he calls you to do. For some people, they listen for the words of the Lord and they haven't necessarily heard what the Lord's call for their life is. At that point, they're, they're a free man. They're not submitted to that authority. And we're always seeking after the will of the Father for our lives. But if the Lord has called you to do something, if you feel the calling upon your life for you to be a servant to the Most High God, then your justice comes from Him. Your, any vengeance that you have, any issues you have with a brother, He takes care of that for you. And so I want to encourage us, encourage you all to submit to the Lord first. Now, all of these commandments and all of these things about morality, we all have to walk uprightly before him in those ways. But at the same time, that first passage about being a servant in a master's house, we might have glossed over it and might have said, well, I'm not a servant, I'm not a slave, and I don't want to be either. But I submit to you that the Messiah himself, the almighty creator of heaven and earth, the author and finisher of creation, he is worth serving. He is a good master who never mistreats those. And he will bless you, he will keep you, and he will bless you with all the things. He will meet your needs. And that is what it means when you keep the commandments, you submit to him, and all your needs are met. We, up, we walk uprightly before the master. We have peace, we have freedom, and we have love and we have a wonderful community with all of our brethren to share. Amen. So let us keep the commandments together as we learn for these instructions. Let us learn to do them better and follow them with our whole hearts. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you on this Sabbath day. We thank you for your words, your instructions. Father, I pray that you would continue to teach us through these words. Every time that we read them, Lord, I pray that you would make them new to us. I pray that you would make them new to our minds and to our hearts, that, you would ed that they would edify us in our walk before you and our walk before other brethren, Lord. Father, I pray that you would, even if we uh, don't know the words, that you would write the commandments upon our hearts, Lord. That we would know how to be moral before you. If we know, Lord, that when there's the right thing to do, Father, I pray that we would not, um, that we would not ignore that, Lord, but we would follow that, Lord. Follow what is written on our hearts to do what is right before you. 
We thank you for your instructions through Moses. Father, when we read these words, Lord, I pray that we would take them to heart, that we would follow them, that we would keep them, Lord, and that we would daily reaffirm our covenant with you, that all the words that you have said, we will follow, we will obey, and we will do. Father, I pray that we can learn these instructions more and more to strengthen our families, strengthen our relationships, strengthen our communities, Lord, and strengthen our walk with you. Father, I submit myself to you, and I pray that all the brethren, Lord, would submit to you as the lawgiver of the commandments, and that we would understand, Lord, that these are for our benefit. They are for peace. They are for freedom. They are not a list of do's and don'ts and restrictions, Lord, but they are how to live a good life before you and be blessed with all the things that you have for us. So we love you. We thank you for the Sabbath day. I pray a special rest upon everyone keeping this Sabbath. We thank you for your words and instructions, and I pray that we would continue to read and learn from them each and every week and each and every time we open our scripture and speak them with our friends, our family, and in all things. So we love you, we bless you, we thank you. In Yeshua's name, amen. The blessing after the Torah. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Asher natalanu Torah timet V'chayolam natah betocheinu Baruch atah Adonai Nonten ha-Torah Amen Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the Universe, who has given us the Torah of truth and has planted everlasting life in our midst. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Uh, Ephraim, thank you for covering Mishpatim and talking about the commandments of the Lord. I'm here to teach the Haftor portion, the portion that follows the Torah portion. And with Mishpatim, we have a passage that is selected from Jeremiah for the Haftor portion. Jeremiah uh, chapter 34. And you're going to instantly see why this passage has been selected to parallel Mishpatim. Um, and, and because the first commandment that is further explained after the Ten Commandments in our portion Mishpatim is about the law of the bondservant and uh, about the servant who serves uh, for seven years. And so this passage in Jeremiah is going to make reference to that law, and that's the reason why there's a parallel that's given to it. The, Jeremiah was a prophet to the people of Judah, and in fact, he's the first prophet who ever uses the term in Scripture referring to the people of the house of Judah as um, Jews. He's the very first person to use the biblical term Yehudi which means Jews, and it, this is the first place. And he's um, going to be chastising uh, King Zedekiah and the princes of Judah for failing to honor the Lord, failing to do what the Lord asked of them, and he's setting the stage to explain why they're going to go into Babylonian captivity, why God will be using Babylon to come and judge the house of Judah. And as you know, historically... Jeremiah prophesied that and that they would be in captivity for 70 years, and that's what we have is the history of the house of Judah. They did go in captivity with the Babylonians. They were there 70 years. Ezekiel the prophet was there with them. Daniel the prophet was there with them. And the remnant of Judah then did return to the land after the 70 years of captivity. But this is now the time when Jeremiah is prophesying that such things are going to take place.
And so he uses a particular commandment out of the portion of Mishpatim to say this is the reason why you're going to go into captivity. And it's very interesting. We're going to talk about this uh, somewhat, and that's the reason why this portion has been selected to go with Mishpatim. Let me begin reading for you Jeremiah chapter 34, beginning at verse 8. Here's what the scripture has to say for our portion. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord after King Zedekiah had made covenant with all the people who were in Jerusalem to proclaim release to them that each man should set free his male servant and each man his female servant, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, that so that no one should keep them, a Jew his brother, in bondage. And all the officials and all the people obeyed who had entered into the covenant that each man should set free his male servant and his uh, each man his female servant so that no one should keep them any longer in bondage. And they obeyed and set them free. But afterward, they turned around and took back the male servants and the female servants whom they had set free and brought them into subjection for male servants and for female servants. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I made a covenant with your forefathers in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, saying, At the end of every seven years, each of you shall set free his Hebrew brother who has been sold to you and has served you six years. You shall send him out free from you. But your forefathers did not obey me or incline their ear to me. And although recently you had turned and done what is right in my sight, each man proclaiming release to his neighbor, you may you had made a covenant before me in the house, which is called by my name, yet you turned and profaned my name, and each man took back his male servant, and each man his female servant, whom you had set free according to their desire, and you brought them into subjection to your male servants and female servants. Therefore, thus says the Lord, you have not obeyed me in proclaiming release each man to his brother and each man to his neighbor. Behold, I am proclaiming a release to you, declares the Lord, to the sword, to the pestilence and to the famine. And I will make you a terror to all the kingdoms of the earth. And I will give men who have transgressed my covenant, who have not fulfilled the words of the covenant, which they have made before me, when they cut the calf in two and pass between its parts, the officials of Judah, the officials of Jerusalem, the court officers and the priests, and all the people of the land who pass between the parts of the calf. And I will give them into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their life. And their dead bodies shall be as food for the birds of the sky and beasts of the earth. And Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his officials, I will give into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their life and into the hand of the army of the kings of Babylon, which had gone away from you. Behold, I'm going to command, declares the Lord, and I will bring them back to this city and they will fight against it and take it and burn it with fire. And I will make the cities of Judah a desolation without inhabitant. That's a pretty powerful declaration by Jeremiah and essentially what had happened was this Babylon had shown its power to the cities of Judah 
Now, the cities of Judah were walled cities. They were able to defend themselves to a certain extent. Babylon was an emerging great power. And Babylon came and threatened the cities of Judah. Now, Judah and the king, they sought the Lord. They, they didn't want the problem with Babylon. And the Lord said, okay, here's the deal. I'll tell you what we'll do. If you'll release from bondage your Hebrew slaves that you have, your Hebrew servants, set them free. And really what he was asking to do, will you just follow the commandment that I've given to you for these? Because that was the problem. They weren't keeping the commandment the Lord, the Lord had given it. The way the Lord had given it, it was that when a Hebrew man is in debt, he can't pay his debt, he can sell himself into slavery. All he needs to do is find a, a master who will take him for hire, and there was a set wage for this, and that would absolve his debt. But he was limited to only working for six years, and on the seventh year, he's to be released. And oh, by the way, when he's released, he's supposed to be given some provision and so forth so that he can get on with his life. He doesn't start out destitute. He, he, he has something to get his life going again. Well, what was happening was people were being sold into slavery because they couldn't pay their debts and other kinds of things, but then the masters wouldn't release them, and they were keeping them. And it was continuing to perpetuate where you had a class of, uh, where you had free men and masters and you had slaves and servants and you had this class thing. And God said, we understand that people can be in debt and we understand they have to pay their debts. Let's come up with a way to do this, but let's be reasonable and keep and, and maintain the integrity and the humanity and the dignity of our fellow brother um, intact so that there's a, a release. There's a release from this. Well, they weren't doing it. So what God said through the prophet says, look, if you'll make a covenant with you, if you'll renew that, you'll reestablish, you know, your citizens, reestablish, release all of these that have uh, done their duty, release them, and then uh, and we'll get on and I'll protect you from Babylon. Well, at first thought, it sounded like a good idea. They made a covenant, and in fact, the way this covenant was made, it was very. He makes reference to it. It's the same kind of covenant that Abraham made with the Lord, where he took a animal and he flayed it open, and then you walk between the two parts. They would make an agreement for it, and so they did that. They made a. They took a, a, a calf. They split it apart. They flayed it open. They walked between the parts. They made an agreement with God. God says, "Very good." He tells the Babylonians, "Go home. Don't worry. Don't worry with these people." And then they turn around and they keep it for a while. And they turn around and start enslaving the people again, and not following the commandment of the law of the bondservant, not following the provisions of the release on the seventh year. So the Lord says to him, okay, if you won't set free your servants and you're not going to allow them to, you're going to put them under bondage under you, well, guess what I'm going to do for you? I'm going to do the same thing to you. I'm going to bring your enemies and they're going to put you under bondage. I'm, I'll release you to bondage by your enemies. You know, you, you, it, it's, you know, you as a man are mistreating your brother, so I'm going to let other men come in and mistreat you. And oppress you. You know, measure for measure. This is poetic justice. And so Jeremiah is pronouncing this incredible judgment upon Judah. And he's using as the principle this law of the bondservant. This law of the Hebrew slave. 
that comes from our Torah portion. Um, I want to take that whole teaching, and, and we're just going to set it to the side for the moment, and I want to share with you something that exists in the world today so that you can kind of understand something that what God was trying to do with Hebrew slavery that a lot of people don't understand, about what the law of the bondservant is about that most people don't understand. By the way, the law of the bondservant is something spoken of in the New Testament. I would remind everybody that the apostles would refer to themselves as being the bondservants of Yeshua the Messiah. In fact, Paul would start off many of his letters saying, Paul, a bondservant of Yeshua the Messiah, called an apostle. He makes the law of the bondservant, the title of him being a bondservant, more powerful than being called an apostle. So there's more to it than what most people think about. Today, if you walk up to somebody and they mention something about being a bondservant, most people look at you and go, what? What, what, what are you talking about? It's, some, it's a very powerful law of God, but most people don't understand it. We're going to talk about that a little bit more so you can understand why would God focus on that to pronounce such a severe judgment upon the cities of Judah that they breached that. What, what is so powerful about that that would cause God to use that as the measure of the judgment that would fall upon Judah? So let me just set all this aside and let me explain a couple of things to you that only people that are really kind of in the business world know about this. The reality is that when you go to uh, get a job, and you get hired by the boss, you know the boss at that point has become the master. You're the servant. You're the employee, you're the servant. Now, I know everybody doesn't like to use those terms, but the reality is, spiritually, that's what's going on. You have a boss who's your master, and you, the, the subordinate is the servant. And by the way, you have to do what the boss says. If you don't do what the boss says, you can get yourself fired. There can be a disciplinary action that comes as a result of it. By the way, you do not treat the boss with um, disrespect. If you do, you can get fired. There is clearly a leading dynamic in just normal employment. And by the way, the principles of Hebrew slavery are exactly the same principles that exist in the business world today uh, between a boss and a subordinate. The boss is to treat the subordinate with a measure of respect. He's an employee of the company. The company has benefits that goes with the compensation. You know, a lot of good companies, they will set up not only a benefits package, but a future retirement package for them that they can participate in. So if you work in long term, you have something at the end of having spent the better part of your life or a big chunk of your life working at the, at the company. And they set up a structure where it's to your blessing and to your benefit. And of course, we're always looking for the fair wage. But the idea is it's supposed to work for everybody. The company's supposed to succeed. The employees are supposed to succeed. Well, that was Hebrew slavery. Hebrew slavery was, I understand you got yourself into a spot of trouble. 
can't pay the deals. Okay, well, this is this is the provision for like for bankruptcy. You declare yourself as bankrupt. Then you submit yourself to it, and you become the servant to a master, and he pays you a certain wage. He covers your expenses. By the way, if you have a family, they get taken care of too. And by the way, but there's an end date where you're released. Now, the law of the bond servant said you get to at the end, you can make a choice. If you don't want to leave and you've decided, hey, I've been working here for six years. I like it here. I want to stay here. And if the master agrees with you, well, then there's a provision for you go down to the elders of the city. You go to the gate of the city and you get your ear pierced. And you make a public proclamation, I love my master, I love my wife and my children, the master has given to me and provided for me, and so forth. And for the reason of love, I will not go as a free man anymore. I will remain as a servant here and I will stay with this guy. Now there's a modification in the New Testament the Messiah gave to this. He said the bond servants of him don't get your ear pierced uh, down by the elders of the city, but you do have to make a proclamation, and it goes something like this. I love my master, the Lord, who's given me my wife and my children. I love my wife and my children. I also love the brethren of the master. And for the reason of love, I will not go out as a free man any longer. I commit my life to the service of the master. That's the law of the bondservant. And when Paul and John and Peter and others referred to themselves as the bondservants of Yeshua the Messiah, they had publicly made such a declaration. And even though their ears weren't pierced, the sign that they had done this was the love of the brethren. And by the way, we have been called to that. Did you know that? We ourselves have been called to consider making ourselves to be a bondservant of the Lord. You see, every one of us have been in debt. Every one of us have been in debt to sin. The Messiah comes in and forgives you of your sin, makes you a free man. You were a servant to sin, a slave to sin. Now you're a free man. You've been released from your sin, from all of the harm from it. But some make the decision, I like this master. I like what this master, I would like to live in his house forever. I want to commit to him forever, my whole life, my family's life. This is what I want to do. So you make a public profession of that you want to be God's servant. You want to be the servant of the Messiah for the rest of your life. It's based on you love the master, you, you love your wife and your children, the master is given to you. You love the brethren of the master. For the reason of love, I will not go out as a free man anymore. And then the mark that you've become that bondservant is how you love the brethren. The apostles did this. And this is a very much desired title, and I'm going to explain to you why. Now, Having made that comparison, let's talk about the business world. Okay, so we have a boss and we have a subordinate. Now, as you know, within companies, uh, there's different levels of bosses. For example, uh, you may have the first level, maybe a supervisor. And he supervises some employees and he has a boss. Maybe he has a department manager. 
over him. And the department manager, maybe he answers to a director or, or another, uh, another manager, maybe a vice president, and maybe there's a general manager up above him, and maybe even above them there's the corporate managers and there's the chief executive officer and chief operating officer. And, and, and in other words, there's a structure. And each time you rise up, while you may have authority over others, while you have authority over others, you are under authority of someone else still. In fact, when you get all the way to the level of the CEO, he's under the authority of the stockholders, the owners of the company. He's got to give an answer to them. Everybody gives answer to somebody. Everybody is under authority. So you understand that structure. But let me tell you about another position that is in the company that most people don't really recognize. It's kind of hidden, but it's definitely there. You see, each one of those bosses and managers, as they go up, they, they, in fact, the higher you go, you have people that work in the same office that are called his staff. So you're on staff. The President of the United States has a lot of people that are on staff that work for the President. They're not the President, but they work for the President, and they work right at the White House, too. And bosses in companies, they have staff and assistants for them. Now, in the course of my professional career, I got a chance to really kind of see how all this stuff works. And let me just tell you what was my experience and what I learned out of it. When I first was an engineer working in a company, I started working on a program, and I was a member of the program team. I was a technical person on the team. But very shortly... Thereafter, they gave me a new assignment. And rather than just doing, I was still doing my technical work, but they assigned me to be on the staff of one of the managers, one of the big managers in the program. And suddenly, even though my name was Monty Judah, and I worked for this particular company that had sold my services to it, when I would go out into the program, when I was introduced to other people in the program, they would say, who's that guy? They were referring to me. They'd say, oh, that, is, that fella is on staff to Don Thompson, who's the senior logistics engineer on the program. You know, when I would go into a meeting, you know how much authority I had to speak? I spoke for Don Thompson, the senior logistics engineer in the entire program. They didn't see me as Monty Judy anymore. They didn't see me as the guy that was working for the company I worked for. They saw me as I represented that man. And I had the authority of his office. Let me tell you how much authority his office had. He had more authority than the program managers of the companies had. In fact, there was a little dispute in my company about my role, what I was in my own staff, in my own company, fellow employees, they got a little bit of a rub. They didn't like some of the things I was doing. And they thought that I was being disloyal. They thought I was being inappropriate. I wasn't doing the right thing. In fact, one guy, he argued with me. He said, Monty, who signs your paycheck? That's who you really work for. Well, to a certain extent, that's true. That, that there is some truth in that. So they decided to haul me in before the big boss of my company. And by the way, the big boss of my company was a senior vice president who had been at the company for many years, and literally, he walked in the clouds, man. 
far as I was concerned. I mean, he was way the heck up there and um, commanded tremendous respect. Everybody spoke of him in a highly respectful manner. And I, I got hauled in before him with these guys complaining about my job performance that I was favoring this other company and this other guy I had been assigned to, and I was doing, quote, my job too good for them and to the harm of my own company. And I wasn't rendering the proper respect back to my own company and my own fellow employees and fellow managers and so forth. I thought I had really messed up. I thought I was in deep trouble. I thought it was going to be more than being taken to woodshed. I thought maybe I was, you know, this might be it for me here. I've done messed up my job and so forth. So the, all the accusations were laid out. And then this senior manager said, uh, fellas, I think you've misunderstood something. I said, we sold Monty over to this company. By the way, the company was IBM. We sold him to IBM and to this person to be his aide and to assist him in running the program. And that guy runs the program. By the way, if that guy says, he doesn't like what we're doing. We can be the whole company can be fired immediately. That's how much authority he has. We can be kicked off the contract just like that. That's how much power he has. And he said, Monty's job is to go over there and represent that gentleman and his office. And if that means that Monty, even though he's an employee of this company, comes walking back in here and he says, this company is going to do the following things on this program. He's not speaking as Monty anymore. He's not speaking as being an employee of this company. He is speaking for the office that he represents, that he's on staff to. And we will do whatever Monty says. Any questions? That was when I learned the authority that you have when you become the servant of a man and his office. When God calls us to be a bondservant of him, most of us think, well, we have to do whatever the Lord says. No, that's not what that means. Do we do what the master wants? Yes. Why do we do it? Out of love. We are energized to do it. Not because we're forced to do it. Not because it's compulsive that we have to do it. We do it because that's what we want to do. And we've been given an opportunity to serve there. But you know what? When we speak, we speak with the authority of our master. Did you know that as believers... By being the servant of God, that you can speak to other men in this world with the authority of God. In fact, the proper way to teach, the proper way to teach is to speak by the Spirit and in demonstration of the power of God. That's what Yeshua came and did. You, you heard Ephraim read that portion where he taught the law, and the people stood back and they said, Man, this, speaks, this man speaks as like one who has authority and not like the scribes. Paul made reference to the same thing. 
In 1 Corinthians 2, he said, when I came to you, the Corinthians, he said, I did not come to you using fancy words and demonstration of man's wisdom. No, I came to you in demonstration of the Spirit and of the power of God. I came speaking to you with the authority of God. Not my authority, not my ideas, what God says. That's what I came and spoke to you at. He was a bondservant of Yeshua the Messiah. His authority did not come from being an apostle. That's the work. His authority came because he's the servant of God, and he's operating in the office of God, just like I was the servant to that man, and I operated in the authority of his office. It wasn't me anymore. And when I would go out to these subcontractors and other companies, when I spoke and I said, this is what we need to have happen in this program, you know what? That suddenly was the contract. And by the way, if you fail to comply, you will suffer the penalty for failing to do what the contract calls for. And I'm the guy that verbally explains, this is how you apply the contract in this program for you. And they would have to follow my instructions. We later had a dispute with another company in which that other company got, did get themselves in trouble. And I was the guy who had to call my boss and say, hey, this company um, is in trouble. They are failing. They're, they're, they're not accomplishing what you purchased from them. And on my word and on my opinion, there were several reviews that were canceled and all kinds of people had to come together to resolve the matter. And I was in the midst of the thick of it, standing up in the midst of many engineers and many managers of, and major corporations. And this was IBM and their subcontractor. And I'm a completely different guy. But I'm speaking in the office of the IBM and the authority of IBM to explain that they've messed up. And I saw how that was resolved, and I saw how much authority I had. Now, the company that messed up when we got it all resolved, their respect of me and their understanding of who I was as a servant of IBM impressed them so much that from that day forward, every time I went to that company and had to visit them, you know how you walk in the lobby of a company? They were anticipating my arrival. My name is in the marquee. Welcome, Monty Judah. And immediately the front desk would call the program office to send somebody from the program office down to escort me, to take me to a reserved office and a reserved conference room for me. Is there anything they could do for me while I'm there with their company visiting to check up on things? Is there anything? They wanted to take me to dinner and all kinds of stuff. They wanted to make sure I was taking care of me. You know why? Because I wasn't Monty Judy anymore. I represented the authority of a whole lot of other things. That's what we call a staff position, a personal servant position. I'm not in the line management. This is where you speak for the authority of the office of the servant you are. When God commissioned the idea of Hebrew slavery, here's basically the way it used to work. So you submit yourself to be a servant of this man because you're in debt. Okay, great. He's going to take care of you. Did you know from that moment on you were equivalent to one of his children? 
He had to care for you in the same manner, for you and your family, in the same manner he would care for his own children. Now, here you are, an adult man, and so forth. And when you would go about doing the business of your master, did you know how the rest of the community would regard you? The rest of the community didn't see you as an individual anymore, as a free man. They saw that you represented your master. That you spoke with the authority. And if your master, by the way, was a well-to-do man, had wealth, had, had power and prestige, and so you operated in that same thing. You would get in trouble with the master if you abused that or disrespected him. But you were, but other people were expected to honor you and respect you as though you were an emissary, you were an ambassador, you represented that master. And by the way, that's how the system used to work. Now that's not slavery like we think of oppressive slavery. That's more in line with professionalism and how people would work correctly. Hebrew slavery was never set up to oppress people. It was set up to make the system work in a much more effective way. And it was simply a way to handle. But some people would get into it and they would love it. And they say, hey, I'm being successful. This is good for me and for my life. I want to be the servant of. And I know a lot of guys, they join a company. I love this company. I want to stay here and work here. It's providing for me. And, and this is the structure I like. And, and even though that guy's going to be my boss and my master for you know, most of my life, I still want to do it. But there was also a moment of release. And by the way, the release that we have in the professional world is you can quit anytime you want. Unless you were a manager like me, where they would put you on the golden handcuffs. Let me explain what that is. For example, when I came into the companies and I would go to work, they would, they would give me a forgivable loan. They, they'd give me a bonus right off the bat for joining the company. I went into some companies and they gave me 10000 bucks Right off the bat, just for coming to work. Wouldn't you like to have a job like that? However, it was in the structure of a forgivable loan. That every year you work there, one-third of that amount is forgiven. If you don't work there the full amount, then it's considered to be a loan in which there is considered income and you've got to pay taxes on it and other kinds of things and you'll have to pay it back. So for the next three years, you've got to stay there so you can completely get that, you know, like it was given as a gift. You've got to stay there for three years. You know how they lock other managers in for even longer term? They issue stock options. Oh, there was some promotions I got. They didn't give me additional cash. They gave me a stock option, 4,000 shares on option. Five years. I'd get the whole 4,000 shares if I stay five years. I get 1,000 shares every year that I stay. Okay? The first year don't count, but the second year I get 1,000 shares. And it was a way of kind of entrapping you and keeping you because they wanted to keep me there working, but they didn't oppress me. They rewarded me. Well, that, that's what the Lord does with you. He says, hey, follow me, encourage me, you know, stay with me, and by the way, I'll give you more blessings. And it kind of, quote, entraps you in the goodness. <laughs> Now, is that oppressive slavery? Is that masters lording it over? No, that's not at all. That's, that's, that's good stuff. What was Judah doing to their fellow Hebrew brethren? Not that. They were really oppressing them. They were really hurting the people. And the Lord saw it as inhumanity.
He didn't see it as you're following my commandment. If you were following my commandment, everybody would increase. Everybody would do good. When he saw the oppression, he said, hey, release everybody. They said, okay, so they released everybody. He said, good, that's a good start. Let's start over again. Well, they started over, and they went right back to the same thing. He said, oh, well, if that's the way you're going to behave, and you're going to press, put other people in bondage, I'll put you in bondage. That was the judgment that came from it. A lot of people don't quite understand how powerful it is, the position for you to be, like in the case of me, with my boss being on staff. They don't realize that when you go on staff with somebody, you have the authority of the entire office. You now speak for that guy to other people. And if other people don't respond to you and the authority that you have, they get in deep trouble. It's like they disregarded the guy to begin with because they disregarded his servant. This is the way the law of the bondservant works. If I'm the bondservant of Yeshua and you come up and you take issue with me, you don't have to worry about me. You don't have to worry about me coming back and taking issue with you. You've got bigger problems than me because you just offended my master. And my master is going to come after you. Now, a lot of people don't realize this. If you're a bondservant of Yeshua and somebody does harm to you, oh, my goodness, they might as well have done it to him. Does not the Lord say that you should be careful about offending people? Don't you realize that if you offend these little ones, you've offended me? The Lord has taught that. And that's the way being a servant really works. If, if you come, let's take the ministry. If you come and you work at this ministry and you become my servant to help me with the ministry, if somebody offends you while you're performing your duties here, do you know that that person didn't offend that person, that, that person offended me? You offended this organization. And by the way, you will answer to me, not him. I will have to do with you. And the same thing is true with the Lord and his servants. To be the servant of the Lord, quite honestly, is a more powerful position than even the line managers that's in the organization. The named positions. And by the way, in the faith, it works the same way. To be the bondservant of Yeshua has more authority than to be an apostle, a pastor, a preacher, or a teacher. Has more authority than that. Because you represent the master. And you have the authority of the master in the fulfillment of your duties. And when you go to minister, you have his authority to minister. That's the reason why when we go out and minister, we can cast out demons. Not my authority. The authority of my master. That's when I go and speak into the heart of a person. I can speak by the Spirit and by the power of God into the person. It's not me. Believe me. Let me tell you, Monty, it's, it's nice the guy is the end. I can't make anything happen. But the master I serve, he can make a lot of stuff happen. And so when I go and represent him, I can speak with that authority and things happen. So the one thing I want to leave you with from this Torah portion is this law about the bondservant. This law about Hebrew slavery 
There is a reason why it is the first commandment that is taught after giving the Ten Commandments. There's a reason for it. It happens to be a very powerful law and a very powerful part of the kingdom of God. And that's the reason why Jeremiah explained to the house of Judah the reason why you are going to get punished and go into the hands of your captives, the Babylonians, is because you have offended this, this law that God established. You are treating people inhumanely when you should be sanctifying my name. And by the way, that's the way God views inhumanity as profaning his name. Profaning the creator. God created all of us. I don't care who you are. I don't, if you're a human being and you are oppressed by another people, you have profaned the name of the creator. You think the creator doesn't have something to say about this? You think there's not a judgment that will come from the creator upon you because you offended other human beings? I have news for you. All of the travesty, all of the destruction, all the harm we see going on in the world. Let me just go ahead and tell you. Wait till God decides to have his judgment. They will not win. All they've done is brought massive judgment upon themselves from a very righteous very upset and angry creator God who has every right to judge them. That's the reason why at the day of the Lord, you and I are going to shout out, just and true are your judgments, O Lord. Just and true are your judgments at the day of the Lord. There won't be any cheering. We'll just be recognizing that God's doing the right thing. So, that's our Torah portion. And that's our Haftorah portion. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your many blessings. And thank you for your instructions. And Lord, would you help us to gain the vision of what your idea of servanthood and bondservants is all about? Would you help us to understand the very high position that you called us to, to be your servants. That we would understand how to operate in your authority, not in our authority. That we would be good servants for you, Lord. And we would see the honor and esteem and life that comes from that. We ask all of that in Yeshua's name. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Llevaré a donar Vihuneha 
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you shalom. Before the King of Kings 